Ephesians chapter 5, and our text is going to be verses 15 through 17. What I'd like to do is we'll read the text. I'm going to ask uh, Andrew, if he would, ask the Lord's blessing on it after we've read it, and then we'll dig in. Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is is. Andrew. Amen. If you've been following along mentally with Paul's thought process, you'll have noted there is this continual concern about the way we walk. And of course, this is not literally the way you walk, but describing a manner of life. So back in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, you used to walk according to the course of this world. In chapter 2, verse 10, There were good works which God had planned, he had foreordained that we should walk in them. We should have that manner of life. In chapter 4, verse 1, he implored us to walk worthy of the calling to which we were called. And that includes in chapter 4, verse 17, not walking in the empty-headed futility of other Gentiles. In chapter 5 right here in verse 2 it required walking in love and verse 8 it requires to walk as children of light and now in our text it simply urges to walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise. Of course the fact that the apostle Paul contrasts these different styles of walk these alternative ways to live your life, it does imply that not everyone is going to make the same choice. So for those of you who read this call to wisdom from the pages of Paul's letter and worry that maybe that's just not the life for you, I want to give you some small comfort and assurance. It does not have to be this way. Wisdom isn't the only option. It's not automatic. You could miss it if you try. So I want you to see with me directly from the text three surefire keys for avoiding wisdom. First, in verse 15, you could act like a fool. Second, in verse 16, you can waste your time. And in third, in verse 17, you can live for yourself. Really, if you would just apply yourself, follow these simple instructions, you can be certain that you will 
escape a life of wisdom with just a minimum of effort. You can free yourself from the clutches of godly living and good judgment in just three easy steps. I sort of worry somebody's going to hear this online and just listen to it and not see me smiling. Wisdom's not automatic. You can miss it. Even for a born-again, come-to-the-light, indwelled by the Spirit, disciple of Jesus Christ, wisdom is something you could miss if you try. And so this morning, three keys for avoiding a life of wisdom. First, act a fool. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly just means carefully. And so as the Apostle Paul tells us that avoiding wisdom is as simple as living carelessly. A carefree life is a foolish life. Only fools live carelessly. A fool lives recklessly, associating with other fools, not knowing or caring about the cost of such a life. So if you hope to avoid wisdom, by all means, you're going to need to avoid the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs tells us a great deal about wisdom and contrasts it with foolishness. And the book of Proverbs is written in a way of passing wisdom on down through the generation so that the next generation can benefit from the former generation. It declares that there is nothing in the world more valuable than wisdom. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. So wisdom is of greater value than anything else in the world because it will give you, according to Proverbs, success in life. It'll help us understand what true success really is. So we have to ask, what is wisdom? And it might be easier to define wisdom by pointing out what it's not. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. You can garner plenty of knowledge and without ever applying it wisely, you wouldn't have wisdom. A wise person often has a great deal of knowledge, but also has this extensive knowledge that is applied to the way that they live. Just having knowledge is not a guarantee that you're wise. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge, experience, and skills that you possess to discern how to best proceed in a given situation, right? To to actually make it effective and active in your life. There are lots of people who can explain all sorts of lofty concepts to you and yet seem to have no idea about how to actually live their lives. They make poor decisions. They find their lives in shambles. These people have a great amount of knowledge, but little wisdom. And so rest assured, you don't have to be stupid to be unwise. You can have plenty of impressive book smarts. You can accumulate that to yourself and just decide that the the opportunity to prudently apply that knowledge isn't important to you. Just don't, in Paul's words, be circumspect, right? Don't be careful. You, 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 you don't have to be mindless. You just have to be careless if you want to avoid wisdom. 
But wisdom is more about just your relationship to knowledge. It's also about your relationship to the Lord. Proverbs goes on to explain in Proverbs 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So having a respectful and a reverential awe of God is going to tend to make you progress towards wisdom. So if you want to avoid wisdom, you'll need to avoid having any respect or reverence for God. You'll need to ignore the fact that he is your creator and sustainer. You can't spend time considering his word or his will. You shouldn't think about the fact that he is the judge of all the earth and he is described as a consuming fire. Proverbs is very clear. The fear, the reverential awe and respect of God is sort of a gateway towards wisdom. So you'll want to avoid that if you want to keep your life out of the clutches of of wisdom. So if you want to act a fool, don't read Proverbs. Certainly don't do what it says. Of course, you'll also need to avoid the book of James because James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. If you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. James says he's going to give a lot of it to you. Wisdom seems to have its source in God. And the closer to him you are, the closer to wisdom you'll be. And so James also says in James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There's good conduct. There is a, a, a fitting and good manner of life, as Paul would say here in Ephesians, a Christian walk that displays this characteristic of wisdom. Even, James says, the meekness of wisdom. So if you want to avoid that, disavow meekness and be as self-assertive and out of control as you can be. I mean, if you... <laughs> If you want to, for the world to see that you lack wisdom, you're going to have to show that to them in your life, right? If, as a Christian, you have any hope of avoiding wisdom, don't read Proverbs, don't fear the Lord, don't listen to James, don't display meekness, don't ask God for wisdom. The path to an unwise life is found through following a much simpler road. Paul says wise people walk circumspectly, they walk carefully so as to avoid the pitfalls of foolishness. And if you want to avoid wisdom, all you need to do is walk carelessly. Live a just carefree life. You're just going to need to adopt a new motto for your life. And there's plenty to choose from. You can follow your heart. You can do what feels right. You can live for the moments. Right? If you need an acronym, how about the ever-popular YOLO? Right? You only live once. Whatever you do, do it carelessly and without any thought for the ultimate consequences. After all, didn't, didn't Jesus give us that option? Remember how he ended the Sermon on the Mount? A wise man builds his house on a rock and a foolish man builds his house on a sand. I mean, somebody has to be building on the sand, right? And if you try hard enough or you just don't try at all, maybe it can be you. 
Yeah, I know Jesus said that when the wind blew and the rain fell and the waves came and they rose, that only the, the wise man's house would stand. But why worry about those consequences today when you look outside and there's nothing but blue skies? So the first surefire key to avoiding wisdom is be careless, be carefree. Don't listen to Proverbs or James. Don't fear the Lord. Certainly don't ask God for wisdom. Just follow your heart. Do what feels right. Live for the moment. You only live once after all. Now I guess if wisdom is your thing, you could go a different direction. You could read and obey Proverbs and James. You could have a reverential awe of God. You could ask him for wisdom. Instead of following your heart and doing what feels right and living for the moment, you could follow God's word and do what he says is right. After all, you only live once, but it is for eternity. I'll just leave that option up to you. If you want the keys to avoid wisdom, the first is to act carelessly, act like a fool. Second, waste your time. Verse 16, Paul says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think we need to look at this word redeeming for a minute so we can make sure you know what it means. Otherwise, in your careless and carefree struggle against wisdom, you might just carelessly stumble right into this. You need to know what it is if you're going to avoid it. Paul encourages wise Christians to redeem the time. He's talking about the idea of making good use of time. Maybe a couple other modern translations will help here. The the NASB says making the most of your time. The ESV says making the best use of time. The NIV translates this as making the most of every opportunity. You see, this word redeem, it carries the idea of purchasing or, or buying. It simply means time has value. Wisdom insists that we see that time is a valuable commodity that comes in limited supply. So if you're going to avoid walking in wisdom, you need to start wasting as much of this valuable commodity as you can. After all, we do this instinctively in other areas of life, right? Like, which of us hasn't ignored opportunities to spend time with our children because, hey, they're always going to be there. We're never going to regret that, right? If you're going to waste time in the most effective manner possible, I would prescribe heaping helpings of scrolling Facebook, staring at your phone, binge-watching every season of your favorite TV show for the sixth or seventh time. Lots of video games will work if that's your thing. Whatever you choose to do with your time, you just have to make sure it isn't spiritually productive in any way. Otherwise, you're suddenly going to find yourself being wise. It's okay for you to have 16 copies of the Bible and a a half a dozen reading plans, but relax, as long as you don't use any of them, you haven't engaged in wise behavior. And for that matter, could I also recommend that you go online and you buy a copy of John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, and without ever taking it out of the wrapper, just put it next to those Bibles. It's a great coffee table decoration. This is not what Paul commands of wise Christians, of course. What he says here about making a productive use of time, it isn't just about making sure that you get through a 
daily to-do list of wise tasks, it's also about recognizing there are opportune times. This is why the NIV translates this, making the most of every opportunity. Or as Paul writes in Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. Opportunity is important because God is sovereign and he is the one who creates every opportunity that you have in your life. The wise person says, just because I can't do everything doesn't mean I shouldn't do anything. I can do what God directs and enables me and gives me opportunity to do. But to successfully avoid wisdom, you'll need to waste time. You'll you'll need to spend no time thinking about the, the limited amount of time that you have, right? God, the author and finisher of our faith, is has numbered our days and may well have numbered them so that we'll spend them for his glory and he's not going to afford us any extra days to waste. So contemplating the the temporary nature of life, in addition to being just an unnecessary downer, is almost certain to lead to the better use of time and thus wisdom. So let's not do that. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom. Recognizing that time is precious and limited is going to lead us to to spend time wisely. Jesus is the source and the storehouse of all wisdom and knowledge. And so he's the perfect example of a man who considered his time valuable and used it to the greatest value. He said in John 9 verse 4 I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day the night is coming when no one can work he recognized I have to do what I've been given to do while I have the opportunity to do it what Paul expects of a wise Christian is that they'll analyze their opportunities that he wants Christians to sort of ruthlessly prioritize the greatest needs of eternal value. It seems evident from verse 16 that he sees the greatest need as proclaiming God's word and being an example of God's righteousness. Look what he says, redeeming, right? Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Seemingly, The evil days that were facing the Ephesians was the very thing that called for them to make a wise use of their time. The Ephesian church was located in a debauched society. And if Christians would simply like waste their time and neglect their opportunities, it would remain a debauched society. So if you are going to avoid walking in wisdom, it will require You, wasting a lot of time. You'll just have to accept the consequences that comes along with wasting time. Your friends will not hear the gospel because you'll not seek the opportunity to declare it to them. Your family will not see the example of God honoring in a wise Christian life unless somebody shows it to them. And and it won't be you because you'll be happy joining in with their time-wasting, live-for-the-moment, enjoy-the-benefits-of-today mindset. Right? Society is not going to benefit from your being salt and light because wasting time means you squander your salt and you barely have enough leftover light to illuminate anything. Paul tells the Corinthians the time is short. Here he says the the days are evil. Obviously the need is great. There is such an 
urgent need for wise living Christians to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in their words and do the work of Christ with their hands that Paul makes it sound here like you can't kill time without doing harm to eternity. But hey, maybe walking in wisdom is not your thing. In which case you've got nothing to lose but time. So scroll that social media, fiddle with that phone, watch just one more episode, and if you can manage to level up and get a high score, maybe when your life runs out of time, you'll be greeted by the Lord saying, well done, you good and faithful gamer. Or maybe not. If walking in wisdom isn't for you, you could try to miss it by acting a fool, by wasting your time, and third, by living for yourself. Verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now this, don't be unwise, sounds a lot like verse 15, where he says, don't be as fools, but as wise. (coughs) And to to be sure, that's the same basic theme, but there's a little bit of a different emphasis in what Paul's saying. The words aren't, aren't exactly the same in the original language. In verse 15, it suggests he's talking about like intellectual foolishness, but the word in verse 17 is a little different. It suggests a kind of moral deficiency. A wise person recognizes that God's will must be best and therefore we should seek to do what God wants in our lives. But we often struggle with knowing what the Lord's will is for us in any given situation. Think about uh, some of the situations where we typically ask ourselves, what is is God's will, right? Should I I take this job or not? What, What major should I study in college? Is this person the right match for marriage? And no doubt, when those kinds of decisions are facing us, it's important to be discerning. And how are you going to know God's will for your life? You know, the reality is I I can't open my Bible and turn to the book of Jason and look for the chapter that says about to turn 50 and, and read in advance what God's plan for me is. I know his plan for me eternally, but I don't know his plan for me tomorrow. And so when we're facing those decisions, we want to get, we, we want to get like some direct revelation coming down from heaven that opens knowledge to us. But listen, that's not coming. You're not going to get direct revelation. So how do we know what the will of the Lord is? Well, I would suggest that the Bible's answer is that we know what God would have us to do by knowing him better. So let me give you sort of a a, a trivial example. If I go to a restaurant with Jay Collins and he leaves the table for a moment as the waiter comes back and needs to have the order, I'm pretty comfortable saying, Jay wants the bacon tacos. And I know this because I know Jay. And you know it because you know Jay. We know Jay's will. We know his desire because we've gotten to know him in advance. The key to knowing the will of God and the decisions of your life, it doesn't come through some 
direct revelation where you get the audible voice of God thundering down from heaven that says, take that job, enroll in nursing, marry that girl. The key to knowing the will of God in those decisions is often by knowing the character of God long before those decisions face us. The many books that have been written offering foolproof techniques to discover God's will for your life, they pale in comparison to the book for knowing God's will for your life. First and foremost, God's will is found in God's word. Knowing him with more confidence will aid you in knowing his will with more certainty. Because his will is not going to contradict his character as he's revealed it through his word. And so the the direct answer that we want isn't necessarily going to come, but the revelation of scripture is going to lead us to think, well, that job is going to tempt me towards sin, or that girl doesn't match the biblical expectations of a wife. And in that kind of knowledge, we'll find the answer. What Paul is saying here about understanding the will of God, it's not, it's not just standing here by itself, separated from the context. There's, there's plenty of context in Ephesians that tells us back in chapter 4, God's will for us is to put away anger and wrath, to speak honestly, to work hard, to be kind and forgiving and compassionate. And chapter 5, verse 1, it is to imitate God, right? To be like him because you know him as he's revealed himself through the Word of God and through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Well, listen, here I am almost preaching this like I normally would. Maybe wisdom's not your thing. In which case, why would you want to do the wise thing of understanding what the will of God is? I mean, that's making the assumption that what you want to do with your life is to live for your creator and savior. But if you want to like, escape the cruel clutches of a life of wisdom, then, then you need to be less concerned about what God wants and only concerned about what you want. In fact, you and your desires become the, the motivational factor of an unwise life. Take that job if you want it. Take that wife if you want her. Take another one if that's what you want. You can even ignore God's revealed will for your holiness by comforting yourself with sentences like, God wants me to be happy. As if God is more concerned about your temporary happiness than he is your eternal holiness. The reality behind such silly sentences is that your own desires are more important than your creator's. And Paul says a a wise person lives to satisfy God, but if, if wisdom's not your thing, you can surely avoid it by living for no greater purpose than satisfying yourself in everything that you do. Now in fairness, that option isn't necessarily gonna be easy. Because it just so happens that the same God who has revealed his desire for the holiness of your life is also the sovereign God who maintains absolute control of the happiness of your life. But if you're really dedicated to this pursuit of staying out of wisdom's grasp, then the fierce wrath of God on your disobedience is just something you're going to have to be willing to risk. 
I mean, we already said, if you're really dedicated to this option, you don't fear God anyway, right? So there you go. Three surefire keys for avoiding wisdom. Act like a fool by living carelessly. Waste your time without concern for the world around you. Live for yourself in utter disregard of God's will and God's word. Three simple standards. And I'm telling you, if you try hard, and it's not all that hard, They are guaranteeing to give you a route to avoid walking in wisdom. Or, if that doesn't sound like a reasonable option for you, you could try doing what Paul says here. Following three surefire keys for embracing wisdom. Walk circumspectly. That is, knowing that you're going to live your life in some kind of wise Carefulness. Make the most of your opportunities, knowing that time is this valuable commodity with limited supply. Live for God by getting to know His will through engaging with His Word. The option's there. Choose wisely, or or not. After all, you only live once. 